Mark Graben and Jamie Flinchball are two guys drinking whiskey while chatting about lean ideas, experiences, and news. Let's hope they hold their liquor because they're not holding back on sharing their opinions. It's time for Lean Whiskey, Lean Talk with a Fun Spirit. Well, hi, everybody. Welcome to Lean Whiskey. I'm Mark Graben. It's episode 40. It's a big round number. Happy to be joined by Jamie Flinchbaugh. How are you, Jamie? I'm great. Um, although we've been at this a few years, it still seems, uh, you know, how many years and 10, 40 episodes. Uh, I don't know if it's a good accomplishment or not, but we still got the 40, which is pretty cool. <laughs> We've been able to keep count and keep track. Even, we have been able to keep count. We even, can at least say that. <laughs> even with whiskey involved. We'll have to, you know, as, as, as engineers, l- listeners won't be surprised. Like there is a spreadsheet. The spreadsheet has probably gotten out of date, maybe. Yeah. I, I, the episodes I, I, I and the to, whiskeys and the I themes need to and the topics. Yeah. But sorry to call you out on that. Jeez. That was well, <laughs> okay. It's uh, my mistake. <laughs> <laughs> my mistake to bring it up. But. Um, it was, uh, it would have been a mistake, I think. So, uh, we, Jamie and I were originally scheduled to record last Wednesday. We're recording this on a Sunday evening, um, as we more typically do. Um, man, I, I was just, I was exhausted that night. I think it would have been a mistake to have tried it. So thank you for, for rescheduling Jamie. No, no, no problem. But, uh, I think it's worth sharing. I mean, it was also worthwhile saving your voice, um, yeah. Uh, so it's it's probably worthwhile sharing what you were what you were busy doing that that made you so tired. Yeah. Well, I was real tired because too many people were set, uh, setting off fireworks. True. True. Yeah. The night before um, on the fourth. I mean, like you know, two a.m. and like okay, enough's enough. I had a very interrupted night's sleep. Um, but then I was I was busy reading um, the audiobook version of the mistakes that make us. Got this obnoxiously large version over my shoulder, but I'm, I'm going to hold up a real hardcover edition because since our the last episode 39, the Kindle book is available, the print books are available, both paperback and hardcover. And I was in Louisville in a recording studio um, doing the audiobook, so um, it's you know mentally a little tiring. But then you know each day, like about four hours into it. The the guy the the producer, recording engineer would would start to hear. He's done enough of these audiobooks and enough recordings. Like, okay, you, mm, no, if your voice is sounding a little different now, let's we we should probably go ahead and stop. Right. So it was about you know four hours on Wednesday, about four hours on Thursday, and then about ninety minutes on Friday morning to wrap it up. So, yeah. Well, it's a lot of that's a lot of reading your own book. So. Uh... And you find typos. <laughs> it, was about, it was about one per chapter, but those are fixable. Mistakes in a book about mistakes. Of course, it's going to happen. The audiobook guy says he thinks only once that he can remember. Did somebody do an entire read through of their book without finding a mistake that they were going to go back and correct? Now, they might have made a mistake in not finding a mistake. Right. Sure. Yeah. It doesn't mean they found everything, but they... They didn't catch it, you know, and they, so and and then say, oh, yeah, I should go fix that. And that's um, I, I do remember now we didn't do our own editing. We had a pro editing this, but the Hitchhiker's Guide to Lean, 
I feel like nobody's ever because people love to point out typos, right? It's just it's like a yeah, sport. They're being helpful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I don't know if I've ever had anybody come back and say I found found a typo. I don't recall so far anybody doing that with people solve problems. But but I had two editors, multiple rounds. So hopefully that's you know that's good. I don't claim any credit because I I'm I'm not a good editor of my own work. So I it's hard. I hand it off as quickly as I can to somebody else. Well, and you know with uh, the mistakes that make us. I, I had professionals involved too. I had uh, my developmental editor. There was a copy editor. I had other people reading it. Then it went through a round of proofreading. And still things um, slipped through. But uh, I'm happy the book is out, the audio book. Um, I, I don't have an ETA on that yet. That was just recorded. That'll be, I don't know, a couple of months, I think. Yeah, probably a couple of months. But uh uh, but yeah, you're, you're, you're on sale. So, uh, yeah. Kindle and print and, uh, you know, the beauty of, uh, you know, print on demand and things like that is you, you don't have, you know, 10,000 copies with right typos that you want to fix. So, you can uh, tell, you can tell who got the early edition. Like if the print date isn't in the back of the book, I forget if it's Amazon or Ingram spark does print that. You could tell when somebody got it, but there's certain key mistakes that you could look at or look for. Yeah. It might not be like a, you know, a, a, an upside down head on a penny kind of, uh, or a stamp <laughs> uh, kind of upside down airplane. On doesn't, a doesn't make it. Dollars. Yeah. doesn't make it a, a valuable collector's edition, maybe just a collector's item. I don't right. Um, so then you, you mentioned your book, uh, People Solve Problems. You're doing launching a podcast now. Yeah, yeah. So I, I've uh, decided to launch a podcast uh, based on the book, basically called People Solve Problems. Episode one is out so far, which is uh, my my longtime good friend, Andy Carlino. You and I have already recorded an episode Um you know, and, and similar to your book where you started doing a podcast and then took that and other ruminations and put it together, kind of doing it the other way around. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, you know, now the book's out. Now I'm going to talk to people about problem solving. I, I think there's very possibly a second edition expansion, expansion pack or something that will come out of all the conversations. But yeah, uh, currently planning on releasing every other week. Um, could get to every week, um, just based on the queue of people and, and even what we have recorded so far. But we're going to try to keep it short format, meaning 10 to 20 minutes an episode. Um, now of the first few episodes, I think I already went over 20 minutes three times, but not, not by a lot. I, so, I got long winded on you. <laughs> well, it partly I know, like I've learned, I, I can't ask a new question with like, at, at the 15 minute mark, right? Cause, yeah. cause that's easy to blow past. So, uh, so part of it's my, my learning curve and, and, and partly if I knew I was unchecked, uh, I, you know, every episode would be an hour. So, um, but, you know, give people a slightly different alternative, quick hitting, uh, tips, tricks, ideas, thoughts on, on problem solving and try to cover a lot of ground. Well, I knew about the podcast and I, I just now hit follow. Excellent. Thank so you. So, flying this week. I will uh, listen to you and Andy. Yep. And we didn't promote it right away. We, we, uh, 
the, the wrong episode was update uh, was uploaded at first, and then then a mistake. They had a mistake, and then the right episode was updated, but it took a while to propagate to Spotify. Yeah, and and so you know we just held off, like it was out there, and and it was it was it was a when I say the wrong version, it just didn't have the music in it, basically. So, yeah. um, but we still wanted to fix it and send out the right one. So, um, so I know I actually I, I got a text from somebody going, "Oh, I listened to the episode. I didn't even realize it was out yet." So, oh, nice. <laughs> um, can, can I, let me, I'll share a mistake back at you. So uh, recently I was doing a, a small update on the previous book, Measures of Success, partly inserting something in the beginning, promoting the new book, a couple other just little small things. So then when I go into the Kindle dashboard to upload the new version of that Kindle book, it's one of these things like as soon as I hit submit, my brain then caught, hey, look what I uploaded the file for the mistakes that make us into measures of success, which was not any sort of attempt at like some sort of stealth marketing or, <laughs> or anything. So I I pulled the and on cord. And I reached out to Amazon customer service and get them through chat and told them what I did. Can you cancel? The update. And they said, no. It, well, you have a review process. Can you just, can you flag it to be rejected in review? And they basically, they said, no, you just need to wait. So there was like a 90 minute period. And I, and, and the book has, it's not like, I don't think anybody bought it during that 90 minute window. <laughs> they would have gotten the wrong book. So at least I know, at least my brain said, hey, you messed up. So it could have been worse. Then yeah. I was able to fix it, and it was a short window uh, where where it was a problem there. But it's funny, like with the print books, when you upload into Amazon any sort of update, they force you. There's like a forcing function of you must look at the preview. Mm -hmm. They don't force that with the Kindle book. Okay. So I'm trying to be disciplined of make sure you use the previewer. But my suggestion to Amazon is, look, that same forcing function would be smart with the Kindle book. Yeah, you're not worried about efficiency because you're not doing it that often, right? It's right. not like, oh, I don't want to do one more click. Like you're uploading a book. Like this isn't a weekly activity. So yeah, that's not bad friction. Like, you know, every time you bought something online, you would have to manually type in your credit card. That would right. be uh, error prone, probably unnecessary slowing of the process. But to, to have someone click, it takes a couple of minutes for the previewer to generate. Sure. That's my free advice to Amazon that they didn't ask for. And <laughs> again, that's that, that, those are the things that I I know I'd make a mistake on, and uh, just trying to figure out. So I I I, I outsource that step. But uh, you've you've been down this path and figured out a lot of these things uh, uh, a lot the hard way. Right? <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to learn from my mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> well, you mentioned earlier this is episode forty, but. You know, we had a, uh, a an episode thirty nine and a half, <laughs> um, if you want to call it that. Um, uh, the unrecorded, uh, the lost tapes, right? Intentionally, uh, intentionally unrecorded episode. Yeah, uh, where we got together in person, and uh, as the origins of this uh, podcast, we got together, drank whiskey, talked shop. 
Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, that was well, that was what doing that, you know, analog was was what inspired us to make this podcast in the first place. Yeah. So. Yeah. Now, we got together last year in Philadelphia. We did record. We did record that time. Yep. And I think this time we're like, yeah, let, let's not let that get in the way of a good visit and a good. Yeah, job. exactly. So I appreciate you. You hosting me and um, uh, getting to, to to swing by and. Uh, uh, we, 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 we paced ourselves, I will say, yeah. um, we paced ourselves, but we, we, we got out and experienced some, some whiskey, um, uh, including, uh, uh, including a tour of new riff. Yes. And we're, we're going to, we're going to sip and, and talk about new riff, but I tried showing you some of the finer places here on the very Northern tip of Northern Kentucky bourbon country. Very northern tip. <laughs> the very northern tip, right up to the Ohio River here. But the um, yeah, I want to you know give a shout out to uh, Revival Bottle Shop, which is a really cool uh, shop where you can also do tastings of of old and unique whiskeys. And then um, relatively a new friend of mine, Peter Newberry, um, who runs uh, Prohibition Bourbon Bar uh, here in uh, Newport, Kentucky. Um, it's kind of it's funny, you know, it's within a place called Newberry Brothers Coffee Shop. I'm not convinced yet he has a brother, but there <laughs> is, it's mainly uh, a bourbon bar. And so I, I, I want to shout out uh, Peter because I, you know, when Jamie and I were talking to him about the podcast and, 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 and he loves this concept of learning from mistakes. So Peter wants me to come bring some recording gear. Thanks to you, Jamie, for letting me borrow it um, to, to record at least one episode, like in person there at his bar so that mm-hmm. that might uh, that, that, that'd be a fun thing to do at some point so yeah hello to peter and, and jamie and i had a good time hanging out with him oh yeah no absolutely it was a great great tours um tasted stuff that uh uh at at the bottle shop that i don't think i've ever <laughs> i've yeah. never had the, the the pleasure of trying um well, so, there, there was um, the connection to one of our friends and previous guests on here, David Meyer. Yes, who uh, whose Glens Creek Distillery is at um, uh, at the site of the old Old Crow Distillery before Jim Beam bought it and destroyed the recipe essentially. Um, yeah. And uh, so, yeah, we got to try some uh, some old Old Crow, um, some you know before Jim Beam bought it and. You know, now it is not good. Let's just let's just say that it's it's not good. It's bottom yeah. shelf. It's uh, it's actually hard to get down. Uh, I find and but um, uh, but boy, some of that old that that older old crow, quite quite good. Yeah, really enjoyed that. Um, and and you know, I had heard of that. I had read that old old crow was was good whiskey before yeah and beam bought it but uh that's all i had to go on was a book yeah and there's this question of like how and you know what what is it about the ingredients or the process the materials or the method i guess if we were doing like a fishbone diagram here is it difference in the corn is it the different is it difference in the wood and the oak barrels is it is it method is it knowledge is it you know i and it's not it's not like it's better because it was all aged longer back in the day. Yeah. That wasn't that wasn't even true. They didn't think old bourbon was really that valuable. No, no, it, it was 
Yeah, I, I think it was a probably a combination of of all of those things, but um, uh, you know, mm. with the exception perhaps of of, of the aging. But um, yeah, uh, it, you know, and and even little things like how do you cut it, right? So yeah. you're going to cut it, you're not going to cut it. Those those types of things. There's so many variables that make a difference. You know, even even today when you see people advertise chill filtered and others are like, no, we don't, we don't ruin our whiskey by chill filtering. (laughs) Crazy. So, uh, so um, lots of, you know, that's the beauty, beautiful thing about whiskey is there's lots of things for lots of palettes and lots of price tags. um, Well, so no, no shortage of opinions and everyone can have their own book or their own blog or their own podcast. (laughs) Yep. What they're, yeah, and, and, you know, we don't we don't push on this podcast. We don't really push our views of the. I mean, we might say we enjoy whiskey, but um, you know, we're not doing tasty notes. We're not saying, yeah, this is trash. This is worth it. Like we we we're drinking stuff that we want to drink. We we do pick a theme <laughs> to yeah. select from stuff, but um, yeah, it's it's we're not doing it. Uh, in order to Im- impose upon other people our opinions right. about what whiskeys they should be drinking. Yeah. Yeah. Now there's an idea and that's, ah, it's a lost opportunity. I'm not going to call it a mistake, but for a future theme, the next time you're able to come through revival bottle shop is able to sell you one ounce sample bottles of some whiskeys. So we should, we should have picked something like this old, old crow yeah, bought a sample bottle or two. So for future episode idea. Please. Yeah. No, and I might I might have to because uh, I have some friends that have you know have have tasted old you know the current old grow before. I think would be blown away by the fact that it was once good. So yeah. um, I, I could see myself with an entire bottle of that if they yeah if they have one in stock. That's the amazing thing about this place is you know there's there's plenty of old bottles that have been sitting in the back of a closet, hopefully not with any sunlight, but sitting in the back of a closet. And as long as the cork doesn't just, you know, disintegrate, uh, as long as it's stored upright, yeah, they can keep for decades and they're not going to get better. They're also not going to get worse. Yeah. There's, there's a rare exception. Um, Shout out to Brad, the owner at Revival Bottle Shop. They've got one bottle that, they they keep on hand as a here smell this here's an example of one gone bad yeah where it it smells like my my one grandparents you know musty basement yeah but like where some sort of couch has been there way too long and it's been too damp and right. and you know, like you, you wouldn't want to drink it but here take a whiff like yeah. you know, this is what you don't want from an old yeah old bourbon but and it could be you know it wasn't sealed well a lot of light got into it um you know direct sunlight's a a real enemy of of this stuff could have been massively overheated you Mm -hmm. know who who knows what happened to that bottle but um it is it is it is amazing uh how how well it 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 really does store inside of a bottle so yeah so um it's fun going there and then Having the chance to go to New Riff to have some newly made bourbon and rye, newly meaning you know some recent years ago. We've got right. some here that was distilled in in 2016. Do, do you want to talk at all about like anything from the to use the lean language, our Gemba visit, or 
Do you want to taste first and then talk about the tour a little bit? Yeah, we can we can we can talk about the tour. It's an interesting place. Um, uh, I'll, I'll let you tell the, the the origins with the the liquor store. But I cool. what I found uh, sometimes I I like the 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 seemingly insignificant details that I think yeah. are are pretty cool. And I I think the one was they were planning on using essentially I guess city water. And while they were digging, they they found that they were right on top of an aquifer mm-hmm. feeding the Ohio River. And and so they dug a well and they have a fresh source of their own water, yeah. which makes them unique. I mean, it doesn't make them unique, one of a kind, but makes them unique in the sense that they're the probably the only ones tapping that particular yeah. stream of water, which yeah, affects, I don't want to say changes or is dramatic. But affects the whiskey itself, yeah. And and I think that's that's a cool little um, happy. Uh, uh, I would say surprise it wasn't an accident, but a surprise uh, that yeah. they were planning on. Yeah, and they ran with it. And I don't know if this is a pivot. The other part of their origin story, we're going to be talking a little bit about uh, pivots later uh, in the episode. But the um, the 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 owner, and I'm blanking out on his name. Uh, he's just in, recently announced his retirement from uh, New Rift Distillery. Um, okay. But he started off um, here. His name uh, Ken Lewis. It's not that hard of a name to remember, but yeah, Ken Lewis <laughs> has announced his uh, retirement. And uh, before he started New Rift, he started this enormous liquor store called the party source i think it opened in the early 90s its logo is very like early 90s of yeah, like they've not updated that late yet. late 80s early 90s kind of like neon colors but it is purported to be the largest liquor store in the united states and you know quite successful it's just across the border from ohio you know, a lot of people are driving across the bridge and buying it here and, you know, yep. rather than their state controlled liquor stores in Ohio. But um, Ken Lewis wanted to start a distillery, but the laws here are restrictive enough that you cannot be a retailer and a producer. So he said, OK, now well, fine, I'm going to use some of the land in the parking lot to start the distillery. He sold the party source and it's employee owned. And there are signs when you walk in you know, kind of uh, celebrating that. And I'm like, well, well, good. I lo- I'd love to support, you know, I love the idea of an employee owned business um, and, and and what, what that means. And you, you've had experience with that, like in different industries, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I, I do like to, you know, advise companies, especially when I'm talking to, you know, owners doing this, um, you know, making somebody a shareholder doesn't make them an owner. There's sort of a cultural element to a, ownership culture that you have to get right um but if you do right if you if you really get the right uh structure put together where the employees of course you know own the company and then combine it with the right culture yeah. uh, it's a it's a pretty neat way to operate a company um so uh yeah kudos kudos to to the way in which he exited uh the liquor store uh we also got to walk in there it's it's an impressive store. We we walked out at the end. I'm impressed with myself for that. Um, but we I, we didn't walk out of New Riff um, empty handed. So uh, 
No, we were disciplined about um, the party source. I mean, they 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 carry uh, you know uh, Garrison Brothers, my friends uh, from Texas. Um, yeah, they've they've got they've got quite the selection there. Um, so yeah. Um, so what 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 stood out to you about New Riff? Like the one thing I'll point out about New Riff is because it's it's we'll call it an urban distillery. They don't have all these big warehouses or rick houses for aging. They're doing that on another site, but otherwise they're doing the whole process right here. Yep. Yeah, I mean they're producing it all there. They just they have I guess they now have two rick houses and um I I uh <laughs> I have not opened this bottle yet, but in in honor of opening I guess a second rick house or a second rick house location uh, they uh, they did a special barrel release uh, or something. I don't know how many barrels, but a special bottle, um, uh, which which looked like it was going to be a secondary brand, which I thought would have been a bad idea. Yeah. We verified that was not the case. It was just a, a one time thing to celebrate uh, and, their their new Rick house. And, and this is Silver Grove because that's the town that their new warehouse yeah. is located in. Yeah. So I have a bottle of that. I have not opened that yet, but uh but that's uh, sitting in the closet uh <laughs> waiting for its turn. Yeah. Um I do I do when I, you know, with a couple of exceptions, when, once I get a few bottles from the same distillery, I tend to only put put yeah. one of them on the cart at a time, but yeah. uh yeah, not not always true. Yeah. But we were able to see and smell and 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 taste you know, you can see the fermenting vats. Yep. Still, um, you know, there's uh, and like I, I live near enough to it where there are times I'm out for a walk and I'm getting free smells wafting <laughs> <laughs> across their parking lot if I'm going to the Starbucks nearby or to the party source. Um, there, there's definitely that 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 distinctive smell of uh, fermentation happening. Yeah, I think, you know, anytime you get to do a tour and, and you know, I don't know if I've ever really noticed a difference between one fermenting and another, <laughs> like, oh, I can tell this is going to be a good batch. Like, I can't do that. <laughs> right. Um, but I'll say anytime you get a chance to stick your head over the fermenting mm-hmm. um, and get a good whiff, it's it's worth it. It's worth it. It's a, yeah. no. it's a different smell. Not too big of a whiff because I always will warn you, you know, especially, you know, the CO2. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it, it, that 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 is kind of a a, a safety um, risk factor. But yeah, it's fascinating. Like you can geek out on this fermenting tanks. You know, we've got our friend David Meyer at Glens Creek Distilling who uses open plastic, yep. giant plastic vats. Right. The more traditional would either be um, some sort of wood mm-hmm. or stainless steel. Right. Which um, was, type, I think New Rip was stainless steel, right? Yeah. What type of steel? Um, open fermenters, which they they have at New Riff and some places, swear by you know a covered fermenter, and it's just there's all these different variables and and you know what what impact does that process variable have on the product? I think that's that to me that's really interesting. Yeah, well, and 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 I think you know I like to say well well there's bad whiskeys. Um, there I don't think there's any such thing as a best whiskey. So yeah. what you really have is different whiskey. So 
great. You know, do, do you do you, everybody does things a little different, different water, different ingredients. Yeah. I, I different fermenters and that, that adds to the, the you know, the, the, the variety that yeah. you have to enjoy. Oh, and, and, and I'm not knocking David for his, his plastic no, fermenters, no. not at all. And, you think, well, plastic's super sanitary and, and, and easy and uh, easy to maintain and um, likely has, you know, no impact itself on the fermenting process. And he's doing smaller batches too. So yeah. he, he's not worried about these giant fats they have at, at new riff. Cause he's, he's doing, I mean, he has more different products uh, <laughs> uh, in a bottle than the new riff does um, in, in a smaller operation. So his, uh, mm-hmm. his ability to experiment and, and test and learn and do all this yeah. sort of things is, is very very different yeah for sure so our theme on the tasting is new riff and something you had picked up i already had a bottle so we'll call it essentially the same thing yep same thing so it's the uh so we had tasted this while we were there the uh the six-year malted rye um kentucky straight uh bottled in bond and to emphasize for those who are watching again this has been open quite a while <laughs> <laughs> Mine, mine, not as long, but it also has some, some, some decent pours out of it. It's you know, New Riff has this interesting thing where they black out the, uh, the top of the bottle. Yeah, which, you know, which is you know, even though the bottom's clear, it is it is good for. I don't think this is why they do it. Certainly good for reducing the sunlight, but, um, but but yeah, when we tasted this, it it tasted very different than some of their other rice. Um and was uh was was quite good great color for those that are on on camera you can see the color there mm-hmm. really you know really nice color and uh i i think all around good good long finish Is, would you call that copper finish. colored for those who are just listening uh yeah at the you know it, probably probably heavier than copper colored but uh it's not a super deep brown, but it's certainly yeah. not the lightest. It's you know kind of medium darkness of uh, of color there. But you know, malted rye is is interesting in that you know people listening probably know that you know Scotch has uh, you know malted barley. Mm-hmm. A single malt Scotch would be a hundred percent malted barley as the grain. Now most most every bourbon or american whiskey producer uses something like five percent malted barley right in their recipe for the the enzymes and and other factors and the process but um you can also malt rye so typical rye you know if it's a um so the the thing i'm going to taste side by side and compare is a different new riff i did just open this a single barrel rye okay so um unmalted Right, which is more typical. Whether you're producing a rye or a bourbon that might have thirty percent rye, um, the malted rye is is sort of the uniqueness here. And I, as I was telling Jamie when we were at New Riff, like I I was a little scared to try this malted rye because the first ever malted rye I had was from a place in Texas, not Garrison Brothers. I'm not going to call them out, but it was a malted rye. It was gifted to me. I thought, oh, this would be interesting, and it was just terrible. <laughs> and I, like, I don't like, I don't know. I mean, like what I imagine like water wrung out of dirty sweat socks would have tasted like, I mean, yeah. like it was, it was, it was, I t- 
to me, I think just objectively bad. I don't know if it was bad or if something had gone wrong. Right. But part of me thought maybe I just don't like malted rye. I really love the new riff malted rye. Yeah. And what's the on your single barrel? What is that a is that a six year as well or is that a four year? Um, trying to think what it says. So the malted rye release is um, bottled in bond, one hundred proof. This one is one hundred and seven proof. Okay. Um, it says aged at least four years. Yeah. So, so it was well. So it was barreled. Then it says more specifically because it's a single barrel. Um, it was uh, distilled May 2018 and it was bottled June 2022. And I probably bought it last summer. Okay. After we moved here, but there's a barrel number and and there's yeah, a four year old. And and you know I don't know for sure if it's because of the malted aspect, but I do think this has all the depth of a regular rye but a little bit less of the sort of harshness and spice that you can sometimes get with a rye. Yeah. Um, so again, I don't know if that's because it's malted or if it's this, this particular expression, but I think it's darn good. Mm -hmm. um, it, it may not be my number one rye of all time, but it, it would make a top five, I'd have to say. Yeah. And there's, a, yeah, there's a certain, in a good way, kind of funkiness to yep. it. Where I think something got off the rails with that other one, where something, I don't, you know, I don't know what if if something went wrong. The thing to a manufacturing analogy was it a design flaw or a manufacturing defect? Right. Well, and you, if you didn't like it that much, you're not going to go buy a second barrel or a second I, bottle. I mean, I like I rarely pour anything out. I just I just went ahead and poured it out because I'm not going to share that with anybody. Now. So sorry. Nope. You could be like the revival bottle shop and be like, here, smell this. <laughs> yeah. It's really this is awful. <laughs> There's a Saturday Night Live sketch around like, yeah, this milk is spoiled. Here, taste it. <laughs> no. No need. But um so that's what we're drinking. Yeah. Um, you know, good stuff. We have the, you know, pretty much the same, same bottle. So I got to pick some. Picks them up while you know at the at the store at the at the distillery. Uh, doubt I could find that out here in Pennsylvania, but um, yeah. very glad that I did. It's quite good. I'm glad glad you could visit me, visit them, take some home with you. So. Yep, and we'll uh, we'll make that happen again for sure. So, All right, well, cheers to New Riff. Cheers to New Riff. They do a good they do a good job. I I've since the first bottle I've had, I haven't had too many bottles, but since the first bottle I've had, I've been impressed with what they're doing. I, yeah. They do quality work. So All right. Well, time to pivot to talking about pivots. Let's pivot to pivots. So you had, you had shared, uh, you know, we always, we don't spend a lot of time like, Hey, here's 10 different ideas. Let's downvote them. Um, but uh, you had shared an article that we both found in interesting um uh really about a strategic pivot but also about bourbon um, yeah. in a lot of ways so why don't you tell me tell us a little bit about the uh the story that you shared yeah first uh gratuitous book plug uh chapter seven of the mistakes that make us is titled iterate your way to success whether that's from quote-unquote mistakes or experiments or realizing you know, you're going to start down some sort of path 
mm-hmm. be open to the idea that you don't have you know, you don't have it all um, correct. You don't have it all figured out. And I love business stories like that. I stumbled across something that talked about the history and origins of Instagram. That it actually started. The creators of it, um, uh, Kevin Systrom and Mike Krieger, they founded Instagram in 2010, basically just as a place for people to share where they were drinking bourbons. Yep. That was their use case. That was their single user scenario of, of it was basically like Foursquare for right. bourbon. Of yep. Like you would check in at places and you would share pictures. And so the app was called Bourbon, B-U-R-B-N, Bourbon. You take out some of the vowels and it becomes like a tech company name. And they, they went to an event and there were two venture capitalists from some pretty big name firms who were impressed with the easy photo sharing. Yeah. And so they took some seed round funding. And, you know, I think the the, the idea was, okay, the, the this is a photo sharing app. This is not a bourbon info sharing app. And 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 so they they pivoted, and uh, they 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 took away some of the features and not just changed the name, but it became the wildly successful Instagram. Right, which is uh, um, you know, I I kind of wish bourbon existed <laughs> again. <laughs> um, and spun it off as a separate, you know, as it's it really get specific yeah. around where people go to get a good good glass, especially if you could share a price list. Because right now, you know, how much do you have to pay for an ounce of whatever yeah. is all over the place? Um, we need to start an app, Jamie. Yeah, so maybe that's, <laughs> maybe that's next. We'll do that in our free time. Um, but I, what I really found interesting was that they, they really followed the data, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't just intuition. It was, it was, they were seeing how people were using it and what features they really like to use. And instead of uh, figure, instead of solving the problem of why other features weren't used as much, they basically said, let's double down on the features they love and pivot and build a business around that mm-hmm. being the new value proposition. And, and so Instagram was born and, uh, Obviously, grew a great deal uh, to be acquired by Facebook now Meta, um, and they've been rolling ever since. Yeah, and I mean, the thing back to your use cases. I mean, you could use Instagram, you know, follow certain bourbon hashtags. Yeah, which we <laughs> have your Instagram feed be nothing but photos of of, of bourbon, but then you have to poke through to the information. Like I'm thinking of like you're, what you're thinking of is similar to an app called Gas Buddy, where there are granted more people buying more gasoline. But, you know, Gas Buddy is an app where people report uh, gas prices and it often feeds into Google Maps. And I don't know how accurate it is if you have dedicated Gas Buddy or kind of like the ways people who obsessively and maybe at the risk to everybody's safety are tapping into the app while they drive because there's a couch, you know, sitting in the shoulder. Like, yeah, did you really need to report that? But, um, well, and and you'd think Yelp would solve that problem too, but it's just doesn't. It's just yeah. filled with some of the very wrong people uh, who love to just rail on somebody because their uh, their service wasn't what they expected. So, yeah. Um, 
so yeah, bourbon, bourbon, the origins of bourbon, the app uh, could be, could be resurrected. I wouldn't, wouldn't complain about that. Um, But uh, you know, Instagram made another pivot recently. Mm. uh, Well, kind of a product extension. Yeah. A product expense. Yeah. They're not leaving Instagram. That's for sure. But I, I think that's that's a form of pivot. So that's yeah, it's not an abandonment of of Instagram. But of course, uh, the the very big news is that they've launched Threads, mm-hmm. a, a clone, um, although probably not the right word, <laughs> at least legally speaking, <laughs> uh, as the lawyers well, I'm sure will argue. But a uh, a di- very direct competitor to Twitter. Yes, and I've I've joined. I've played with a, l- a little bit. I've seen in the little bit I've looked at the feed some things that Jamie is posting. So I'm on there as M Graven. You're on there as as J Flinch Co. J Flinch Co. Because you have to use your Instagram handle, yeah, uh, for your Threads handle. Yeah, but the thing you know, the for all the reasons that I generally don't post, you know, I haven't posted on Twitter in a while and I'm not scrolling, I'm not logging in to look at it because of changes Elon Musk has made of forcing certain types of content at you. Um, I'm not finding that on threads. So I'd say, okay, fine. Um, but then back to, there's a certain use case where, you know, ugh, you know, uh, as a, uh, alumnus and season ticket holder of Northwestern University football. There's a scandal that's kind of still coming out in the news right now of allegations of hazing. And, you know, uh, one good use case for Twitter is to basically to find breaking news mm-hmm. of uh, reporters, people who cover the team or to go and and search. And I, I thought, well, let me try to use threads for this. Right now, it seems, unless it was user error on my part, the search function only finds accounts. So if I typed Northwestern football, it gave me a correct response of here are the accounts that have been set up now in the past week for NU Sports, NU Football, Inside NU, the Daily Northwestern, blah, 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 blah. But nothing that would search and find what do we call a post on thread, threads. I just call it a post, but <laughs> so so I kind of held my nose and and went on Twitter to go search for kind of now very specific thing, not bourbon, but you know what what's coming out in terms of allegations or news or confirmations or whatever you know around this this football thing. I, I couldn't figure out how to do that on Threads, and maybe that's just because it's a very early. It's an early version. Um, they uh, you know, and half the. Half the uh, the posts on Threads are about Threads, so um, <laughs> you know there's there's no hashtags, there's no um, uh, yeah you can't search uh, you know do do word searches or of course hashtag searches yeah there's no true chronological timeline you can't look at only the people you follow right and, and you know there's something to be said for simplicity don't don't add so many features like I kind of hope they don't add DMs. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think that'd be great. Everything's either public or it doesn't exist, right? um, And uh, but you know, I've already found you know the spammers are on there. Um, Mm. I think it's. I'm I'm just glad FTX is already closed. Otherwise, probably twice as many FTX specific spammers. Um, 
But uh, yeah, it's social media. It's open source. It's not open source, but open use social media. So it's going to get, you know, all the same, you know, all the same stuff. Maybe it will devolve as far as Twitter has devolved, but uh, but we'll see. Um, I, 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 you know, I'm usually not that interested in breaking news. Um, I kind of like to let it mature a little bit so we know what yeah. we're talking about yeah. and uh, and more curate my news. Um, mm-hmm. That's a specific case, I'm sure. But yeah, um, yeah so, I, you know, I'm playing around with it. I don't know if I'll, I'll stay on it very much, but um, yeah. they saw they saw a weakness. They saw everybody, you know, wanting an alternative you know, uh, to Twitter and all the alternatives really just don't make uh, Mastodon was popular for like four days. Post. Uh, So. Yeah. Uh, blue sky, which is one that's now being run by Jack Dorsey, who was of course, one of the founders and former CEO of Twitter. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting, but yeah, it's funny. You mentioned that a lot of the threads are about threads. Um, there, you could probably find, posts on there about Twitter, there are allegations that that Elon is stifling discussion of threads on Twitter, which yeah. you say, well, maybe that maybe that's his right if it's a competitor, but no, that's certainly right. not that's not free speech. It's not square, yeah, it's not his, right? Because he's know. also canceled accounts of people that yeah. he didn't like. So, um, yeah, I think it's probably very likely because it was it was number one treading on Twitter you know, as it launched. And I think be, that got shut down. Yeah. yeah. It'd be hard to believe it's not in the top, whatever, 10 or 20, any, you know, a few days, a couple of days yeah. later. So yeah, I'm, I'm sure that's true. Um, that the, It's just blocked. And yeah, it's, a, I mean, not only is it, you know, it, it's, it's not even a public company, it's a private company. So yeah. uh, not only is it not a public service, it's not even a public company, it's a private company. So you know, do with it what you want. Right? You want to destroy it, destroy it. You want to change it, change it. You want to censor some stuff, censor it. It's it's your right. A little hypocritical, but you know, yeah, it's okay. Yeah. You know, uh, it's his money. He can do with it. Well, it's not all his money. Well, I was going to say he's got to be. He's got some. He did borrow a lot of he money. Borrowed. Yeah, he's he's beholden to quite a few people here, so it's not like it was all just him writing a check. No, that's um, that's true, but but still, no. But I mean, this is this is competition. Um, it's it's probably more an opportunity. This might be more of a, a representation of uh, an MVP, a minimum viable product. Maybe yeah. threads will evolve more so uh, than than pivot. But, um, you know, it's different competition compared to, um, you know, supposedly, I don't know where it started. Um, Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg had somehow agreed to do like a cage fight. And I don't think either of them drink. That sounds like the type of decision that would be blamed on whiskey, right? Where you guys drunk and you decided to do a cage fight. So maybe just they should keep their competition to the business realm. Which, which it's on. So, you know, yeah. it's on. So, uh, um, but, but it's, it's, you know, this kid brings about one reason, right? There's lots of reasons to pivot. One is in the, you know, bourbon to Instagram, 
follow what the customer interest is. So that was a customer pivot. Um, it, you know, Instagram, I don't say changing their focus, but adding threads to their focus. Uh, you know, I'm sure we're not going to see a whole bunch of new features on Instagram as energy went into this. Because mm-hmm. uh, this, you know, remember, this is a time when Meta has been very publicly laying people off, too. So it's not like they had, right. you know, just nothing to do. Mm-hmm. So that pivot was basically a competitive looking at a competitive advantage. So you see, you see Twitter, you see Twitter struggling, you decide to strike. So mm-hmm. um, so that's another reason to pivot. So th- there's there's all sorts of uh, reasons to pivot. Uh, some are in your control. Some are influenced by, you know, outside factors, right? Um, regulation can be one, competition can be another, changing customer interest can be another as well. A whole bunch of reasons um, uh, to pivot. Yeah. Um, so I, I think, you know, when you look at changing, what, changing demographics or changing product use, I think one of my, one of my favorite stories was uh, uh, Play-Doh. Um, you know, Play-Doh was was originally a compound used to clean a uh, wallpaper, mm. and so you you like it's it's kind of like you get that putty to clean your car, like you know, oh, okay, same concept. Like you roll it on the 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 wallpaper, and it clean takes off the the gunk. But people stopped putting up wallpaper. Right? <laughs> wallpaper yeah. was in everybody's home. Then it fell out of favor. Nobody wanted wallpaper. They wanted paint. And that trend hasn't changed. And so they said, well, they actually noticed, you know, that their, their use case for their entire product line was going away. But they noticed that kids also use their product. And I don't know how they noticed, but I mm-hmm. uh, also use their product for basically modeling. Yeah. You know, modeling play. And so they rebranded it. They became a toy company, essentially, and Play-Doh has been with us ever since as a child's uh, creativity tool. Yeah, yeah. And there's examples of these these pivots or happy accidents or whatever you call it. You know, both Twitter and Slack started as internal messaging apps at different companies, Slack at a video game company. You know, so there's, there's more of a, a type of thing. It's more along the lines of some of the Kinexus origin story. Where yes. Jacobson and the team at Vanderbilt built an app that they were using in-house. And then there was recognition, that's a product. That's not yeah. a tool just for us. That's a product others would and could use. Yep. Yeah. And it's it's uh <laughs> I, I think designing something to solve your own problem and then finding out it you did a really good job at it, and it's a product. Right. So Slack and, and 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 Twitter being two cases of that are, are pretty interesting. Um, a little less successful than either of those uh, by orders of magnitude. My, my grandfather, many, many years ago, uh, decided he needed a better profile grinder. And uh, so for those who don't know what a profile grinder is, I don't you have you want to you want to grind a profile of something you already have. And so basically you follow the profile on one wheel of the whatever you're you're trying to match the shape to, and then would grind that profile in in, in the fresh metal. Um so he he needed a better one, so he built one and it was pretty good. So then he started making them for other people, and it became known as the York grinder. Um hmm. I don't know how many he made, but he made enough that it's a 
you know, a product out there. You could still find them on, you know, really old ones on eBay. Um, uh, I don't think you need one anymore, but uh, uh, like that. But but it was just, yeah, he needed one for himself. So he made one. Turned out he did a pretty good job at it. So, you know, make more. So I think that's a, you know, that's, it's a deliberate accident, right? It's a, it was a deliberate act, but it was an accident that it was a saleable product, right? Yeah. And and I think there's a difference between, and I try to make this distinction in the book, mistakes, quote unquote, like when you're innovating, and I would put a lot of process improvement into that same category, to accept, to expect, accept, or even celebrate mistakes as learning opportunities. And, and don't be stubborn. Don't punish people. Make sure you, you can really have honest study and adjust phases of the plan, do, study, adjust cycle. There, there, there's mistakes to, to celebrate. Then there's mistakes in the category of routine work. And I think of healthcare of like giving the wrong medication to a patient in a way that kills them. Like that, that's not a mistake to celebrate. That's certainly yeah. one to learn from. Right. You know, yeah. but one to, one to learn from rather than to focus on the punishment. I mean, was, right. Uh, and so I think the cultural part that you mentioned in your, in your book is, is, is true regardless, right? Whether it's a mistake that's truly just a mistake to be learned from or a mistake that's to be learned from to then iterate, right? Either way, it's a mistake to be learned from. Yeah. Either way, just because one is uh, sort of a desirable mistake, the other is an undesirable mistake, doesn't mean we should have a different approach to it. Um, we, we shouldn't judge. Uh, we, we might judge whether we keep the mistake based on whether it's useful or not, but we, we shouldn't judge the, the mistake happening differently just because it produces a good outcome or a bad outcome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, there was another story just in the notes I was going to ask you, because I, I don't know this one, um, about the invention of the pacemaker and, and how that was in, in a way a happy accident. Yeah. So uh, apparently they were uh, they were trying to build an oscilloscope uh, or, or I guess that's what it's called, an oscillator, essentially, to 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 record heart sounds. Right. So they're going to listen to the heart, record heart sounds. And somebody assembling this installed the wrong resistor. And, you know, sometimes that can just, you know, play havoc with how the whole, I, mean, I don't know if you, you know, remember your electrical engineering courses, but, you know, you, you don't, you know. And anything electrical in the realm of physics was was oh. was past me. I could do physical I, I physics, not electronic electrical physics. No. And, and at Lehigh, uh, the, the, the beginner electrical engineering course was wickedly hard. I... I still remember I, I got I think I got like a 12 percent on the final. <laughs> that was a B plus. That's what the uh, curve. on the curve. That's what the curve. It was just brutally hard. Wow. But you put a resistor and, you know, put put the wrong resistor and it makes a difference. And apparently once they put that wrong, I don't know how they discovered. I don't know much about this part. How did they discover that that was uh you know, useful is that is it then became a pacemaker. They figured actually it could mm. regulate the heart rather than just measure the heart. Yeah. And and I think that 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 moment, right, which again, that story, it's not very clear how they just kind of go, huh, right? Instead mm -hmm. of throwing it away and going, I gotta start over, you yeah. know, 
how do you go, huh, right, with some curiosity. And so one, one of my favorite stories um, I, I heard on a podcast, I, I, I made the mistake of not recording what the podcast was because yeah. it was kind of the story that came and went and was thrown away. It wasn't the core part of this podcast. So I don't even remember where I heard this, but um, essentially years ago when, you know, the East India Trading Company, which, you know, more people know about today because of Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah. Um, of all things, right. Teaching us history. But, you know, they, one of the, the biggest threats to their comp, their competitive nature was malaria, which actually is news in the U.S. again, unfortunately. Right. Um, Cases. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so uh, and locally spread in Florida, just in one county. Um, but uh, but anyway, you know, the, the, the medicine for malaria was was uh, was organic. It was grown. It was expensive. You know, depending on the weather and the crop, might be less of it or more of it. So everybody was after synthetic malaria medicine. So this professor, I think in Connecticut, and his student were working on a synthetic uh, malaria, and they had one experiment that failed. They had many experiments that failed. They actually never produced, at least that group, never produced a synthetic medicine. But what the student found was that one of his ex mistakes, one of his errors, one of his failed uh, uh, tests produced something that really worked well as a purple dye. Now, his professor considered it just a mistake, throw it away, useless, all we're done here. But this is, you know, again, how did, what makes you go, huh? What makes you go interesting? Yeah. And in this case, the guy was, an, as a hobby, was an artist. He, he hung out in the artist community. I don't know if he painted or I think he was a musician, but he he hung out in a different you know community on the side. And he's like, you know what? We could use a good purple dye. Uh, we don't have a good purple dye. Mm -hmm. And this is a pretty good purple dye. And his professor was against it. He decided to go in business. It happened to coincide with someone in the royal family, pur purple being their favorite color, which made it in fashion with everybody else and he made he built a factory and you know became very successful making purple dye for the for the world um but it was because of that like other activity in the artist community where his curiosity took the mistake instead of throwing it away said there's something here mm. right? there's something yeah. to be yeah something to be done here which and i i think that that moment right that that how do we learn the right stuff out of a happy accident uh, is is very interesting to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, and there's a couple stories like that um, in the book, actually, from each of our whiskey distilling friends, Garrison Brothers and Glens Creek um, Distilling, of how how and why Garrison Brothers came to use white corn instead of yellow corn. There's a happy accident story there. And then um, David Myers, uh, oops, where he forgot to order rye and he ran out of stock. Didn't yep. have a good Kanban system. His colleague, his employee, John, said, well, what would happen if we tried doing a 100% corn bourbon? So Dave's a good experimentalist. He said, let's try and find out. You know, And that's yeah. a product they ended up deciding to age then they uh decided to sell i don't think they've decided to make more but okay you know make something positive out of right. that and I, and I think organizations that are better 
in general about how they respond to mistakes are of that mindset then to take advantage of a happy accident. Right. Well, and, and, and I think, um, yeah, I, I agree entirely. And, and as, um, as you indicate, you know, that iteration in the space of innovation sort of requires that celebration. Um, I think everybody probably knows at least some aspect of the, you know, one of the more famous stories, which was 3M post-its, right? Which yeah. was, they, they were actually trying to make a strong adhesive. <laughs> that was the goal, make <laughs> right. a strong adhesive. <laughs> Turns out they made a weak adhesive. Yeah. Yeah. And and so it was shelved. And again, that moment where you recognize you have something, it took someone else to sort of recognize there was value there. And they figured out the application that then became, you know, 3M Post-it. Um, but it, it, you know, 3M was a company that at least at the time celebrated innovation and they knew that their hit rate was going to be very low. But yeah. that, that's OK. They're going to they're going to try a bunch of things and celebrate all of it along the way, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of fun stories like that out there in the business world and, uh, and, and, and more to come. So, I mean, you know, Jamie, as you've worked with different companies, especially at early stages, I mean, are, are there kind of factors that, that in your mind help lead to successful pivots to, to even thinking of, well, instead of, declaring something a failure to be constructive and figuring out how you should or could pivot. Yeah, I think at least as it, at least as it applies to like product or business model strategy, I think the idea of holding your assumptions loosely mm, is yeah. is one, yeah. right? Like okay, we we believe, right? Mm-hmm. That's different than I know. Right? Exactly. Yeah, right? and I we believe this to be true. We believe customers want this. We believe that uh, they won't pay more than X, whatever that might be. Um, but hold those assumptions loosely. And as you get data that uh, might change that, be open to that, right? Mm-hmm. As opposed to discarding that data because it conflicts with what you believe, right? So so hold assumptions loosely is one. Um, I, I think this goes back to the, the uh, purple dye story is have a wide aperture, right? Look look at many different things. Look at other industries. Look at how they operate. I, I talk about this a little bit around creativity in, in, in my book, People Solve Problems, but sort of, you know, ask yourself, what would Chick-fil-A do in this with this problem? What yeah. would Amazon do? You know, what would Disney do? And and so if you if you look at other business models, other companies, and and kind of compare it to your own situation, I think there's a lot that that can be learned. And then, and then one that I know we, you know, that's, that's goes back to the sort of the chapter you talk about with iteration, but it's just test to learn, right? Right. Experimentation, test to learn, try some things. Um, and, and, and so if something's broken, test to learn a lot, right? Yeah. Um, and if something's not broken, test to learn to, to challenge yourself, right? So even if you're testing on the fringes, like, hey, I think customers would only pay. And I, I tell a lot of entrepreneurs, especially those that I work with who are like really altruistic, like they're trying to solve a societal problem with their business. So they don't want to be greedy. It's like, yeah, but, you know, if you make money on your product, you can give your money away. Right. You can then give product to people that can't afford it, whatever that might be. But just simple questions like, how do you know they won't pay? 
150 right. Right. right um try it right yeah. uh, see what happens so so i think that test to learn uh, and experimentation becomes you know those are those are those are three things that i think help a great deal yeah yeah and i'm going to hold up give a shout out to one of my favorite people in the business world rich sheridan mm-hmm. and his most recent book chief joy officer he was a guest on my favorite mistake um to be released soon and you know he said something you know he, he talked about hit their tendency within menlo innovations if in doubt or there's a question he's run the experiment just that that simple just go, go run the experiment and you know it's 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 good on being able to on, have honest pdsa cycles when mm-hmm. you do that which is different than Go prove that that works. Like, wait a minute, that's that's going to get you in trouble, right? As opposed to run the experiment. Yep. And then I think even back to Toyota uh, people, I'm sure you've had some similar influences of just distinguishing the difference between an assumption and knowledge, and state your assumptions. So like people in kind of entrepreneurship, lean startup communities, really emphasize um, stating your assumptions. And going and, and testing assumptions or answering the question of well, like what or thinking through what assumptions must be true for this to be a success. And then how can we gather data, run experiments to replace assumptions with data and knowledge? You know, I think that's you know, you know the Toyota people would ask, like, you know, how, how, what do you know and how do you know it? Of like, are you guessing? Yep. <laughs> or do you yeah, know? I, I I think those are good questions. I always I always like to ask, um, I because those questions in the right culture. Once you've got that culture, yeah. I think that can land well. If you lead with those questions when the culture's yeah. not ready for it, I think it can come off very accusatory. Sure. Um, and so, one of my you know favorite pairs of questions, I guess, is you know what do we not what do we not know, and what's the best way to you know what's the best way to go learn? So mm-hmm. it kind of assumes. Sure. There's, there's some learning to happen yeah. there. And it, and it says it's okay to not know. It's okay to not know, right? In, in fact, I argue if if you knew what you needed to know for this to work, then I should, you know, I, I should fire you for not executing on that knowledge, <laughs> right? Yeah. So, so what's worse? You know what to do and you haven't executed or you don't know what to do yet? Yeah. Pick your pick, right? Because <laughs> it's one of those two. Uh, that that we're generally faced with. So I'd much rather it be, yeah, I haven't figured yeah. it out yet. That's okay. Yeah. Go, yeah, go run the experiment. And then Rich Sheridan said uh, another thing that was brilliant in the episode recently, he was talking about experiments. And he says, um, if you always get the outcome you've expected, those aren't really experiments. Right. So don't hide behind, like to your point, if you know something's the right idea, just go do it. Just go do it. Go PDSA it. Don't hide behind or, you know, kind of play games with uh, what some might call, you know, experiment theater. Mm-hmm. Like if, yep. if if you know, go execute. Right. If you don't know, run an experiment and, and, and don't confuse the two, I think. Is... Yeah. No, it's just like things people are absolutely committed to do and they backwards integrate an A3 problem solving effort to, to prove it. It's like, yeah, right. why? just, just right. to get credit for the A3. So um, even if you didn't know, but you were super committed to this was your path, then just, just go do it. Just, yeah. Well, and, and why is a question that might not land given the culture? 
right? Or even the word problem. Yep. And I'm, I'm, you know, that's one, the the why part, uh, I'll go back to an old conversation I had. That's one I'm willing to like confront the culture with, right? Mm -hmm. So like our culture can't handle the question why. I'm like, fine, we're going to break the culture then. So that's, um, and, and, uh, and, and this actually happened at a client of mine years and years ago, but uh, someone actually out of communications was like, oh, we, we don't use the word why because it makes people uncomfortable. And I'm like, well, yeah, that's where we, that's where we learn is when we're uncomfortable. So I'm okay with all that. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and so, yeah, there's, there's, you know, you want, you want the culture to bend, not break, I guess is, is uh, what is your culture ready for? You, you probably need to stretch a little past what it's ready for if it's going to move forward. Yeah. I think we call that leadership. <laughs> I think we do. Yeah. I would. We can at least start calling it that. That's right. Because, I mean, yeah. They, you, you can identify these things and realize now that's a challenge to work on as opposed to a barrier. Really? Oh, right. Okay. People don't like the word problem. Fine. We'll never use the word problem. Yeah, that, there's, there's, there's a better approach than that. Yep. You are... Um, I don't want to play the audio because we'd get in trouble from a, a licensing standpoint or anything. But we were talking about holding holding assumptions loosely. In my head, I start hearing the old 38 special song, Hold On Loosely. <laughs> Do you know that song? I know the song, but I'm trying to replay it in my head. And I'm not going to ask you to sing it. So No, you don't uh, want that. I'll, I'll, I'll do a Spotify check later on. So. so I hear that song now. It's going to be a song about assumptions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think uh, the song's coming in, coming in now. Um, at least I think it is, but uh, um, dating ourselves. And uh, the, the other, the other reason I'm not going to go into any, any detail or anything here, but when we get together and do a, a non, uh, a live episode of lean whiskey that we're not recording, we're for one old enough to remember the song, Hold on loosely by 38 special. We're also old enough where um, we end up talking about aches and pains and what have you. So we yeah. don't have to subject an audience to that. No, we don't. Yeah. Can you imagine an episode of that? <laughs> no. no. Maybe 20 years, but no. No. Yeah. No, 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 no. What's your uh, your ache of the week? Um <laughs> this this the the office where we're recording here is also the yoga studio and I will sing the praises of um, finally getting into a 30 minute habit every day of some called yin yoga, restorative yoga, stretching my lower back. Um, That's something I wish I had started 20 years ago. It's like the old parable about planting a tree or starting a lean journey. Like the best time to do it was 10 years ago. The second best time is today. Yep. No, I, 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 uh, I like many forms of yoga, but, um, but yeah, yin it's deep stretches. Uh, you know, a lot of it is about the stretching, not just muscles, but tendons. And that's, that's what happens when you hold it longer. Uh, that's the whole point of yin, um, uh, for those that haven't, haven't tried it before. And, uh, yeah, it makes a difference. Um, I, I, I definitely, uh, I, I probably could use a, a shoulder. I've, I've done a lot of laps in the pool in the last two days. And so I could probably use a, an upper back shoulder uh, <laughs> yin workout in the morning. So we'll, we'll see about that. So, 
All right. We about ready to wrap up. Sure. All right. So we, you know, we, we, you've just released a book. Um, you're, you're, I guess you're technically still in the process since you only just, uh, the mistakes that make us. I mean, it's, it's shipping available now, available now, uh, order your copy. Um, I ordered mine on the, the pre-sale for, for Kindle. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and, and of course I'm not that far out from, from having finished people solve problems. So what's your, your favorite and your least favorite part of book writing? I actually get, you know, there's a lot of people I talk with, they might be retiring or transitioning into consulting. They want to write a book. So they want to talk to me about it. So, yeah. uh, but it's, everyone has a different experience. So what's your favorite and your least favorite? So I had to rely on some coaching to remind me of this, but I mean, I think the, the, the favorite part is giving yourself the freedom to just write. Like you have an idea, you have a plan, you have some structure, but getting the reminder on one level, okay, no, reminding yourself, nobody ever writes a perfect first draft. My book hopefully led to success. There was definitely iteration mm-hmm. with the book concept and structure and focus. And then Tom Ehrenfeld, um, you know, as the editor I was working with reminded me, like, don't don't forget to enjoy it. Like you like writing, right? Yeah. Like, so remind yourself, like you can enjoy <laughs> the writing and, and stop thinking of it as, you know, work. I don't think I was taking this to an extreme. So thinking of it as a burden, think of it as like, it's great that I get to take this opportunity to write and explore and think and you know, to enjoy that. I think the least favorite and some of this is more about my generalized impatience, but just the batch and queue burping along through the production process and value stream yeah. is the hardest thing. Because like when you, you finally got it done and then you're like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So now let, let's get it out there. Yeah. You know? And right. I, I, instead of going through, like in the past when I went through traditional publishers, it was about a nine-month value stream cycle time. Yep. Not uncommon. Six months, maybe. It's like the fastest. Now, from from for me, and I worked with some great, uh, great partners, a company in particular that did some additional copy editing, the page layout and design and proofreading and all of that. It was a three-month process. The value added time in that three months was probably a couple days. Right. Yeah. So it's like any value stream. So like it was better and faster than a traditional publisher, but it was still like at times frustrating. And, and, you know, it, the, the, and, and I know, you know, there's always this question again, it's batching cute. People are juggling different clients. The world does not revolve around me. Mine is not the only book in the world and mine is not the only book they were working on. Right. You know, so I, you know, but, like, should it have been two months instead of three? I don't know, but in the grand scheme of things, like, it really, it doesn't matter. Yeah. No, it's tough to wait. Mine, I I, I tried to be patient. Um, I think mine was from my last, from my final version of writing, six to nine months, mm-hmm. probably what it what it took. So, so, so my, my favorite part for a similar reason is actually mind mapping. And that's when I'm, that's when I'm really doing my ideation. So it's, 
I don't really do a chapter layout. I, I mind map and I just start, you know, capturing ideas and connecting ideas and, oh, this, is this the same idea or is it different? And I, so I just love, I actually do it on, you know, good old, that good old fashioned green engineering paper. Some of the few things I still do on paper. Not on your have, tablet or your e-ink. Uh, yeah, I, I do. I do some, I do some article mind mapping on there, but for the book, it was all, uh, all on there, but it's, it's, uh, it's really the ideation and exploration of the idea. And then I, then I, I sequence the mind map and then I start writing based on that sequence. Um, but it's just ideas and I'm still curious about it and, and, and generating new ideas. So that's my favorite part, uh, for sure. Writing would probably be second. Um, and my least favorite is easily editing. Um, oh, right. It's just, you know, like I like on the on the waiting, I kind of just uh, uh, put it out of mind, I guess, and and hope for the best. But uh, but the editing, I just uh, I, I I hate it. I just really just really hate it. So um, I, I still remember every time I get back edits from other people, and it's like oh, I gotta go. I gotta I have to review the edits. It's just like that. Other pieces where people are handing work back to me, like I get to it right away. But when they hand me back a chapter with edits that I have to review, uh, I could put that off for as long <laughs> as I imagine. So, well, there's there's tough opinion. things. I, like I've gotten better at cutting material and never hitting delete, but copy and paste it into some other place that mm -hmm. I might use later. Um. The one the one difficult thing is when you know you're trying to get input and feedback and you get conflicting yeah. thoughts or recommendations. And then at some point you have to be the decider. It's your book, it's your name on the cover. Yeah. No, I I I, I you and I both did this as multiple cover designs, put it up on Facebook and LinkedIn and get feedback. And actually mine showed up in my memories today, coincidentally. Yeah. Um and uh, and I looked at some of the covers and I'm like, oh, how did I ever consider that one? <laughs> um, I really but but every single option I put out there got a vote. Right. So sure. I was like, was, was that useful at all? I don't think it was. <laughs> I, think, yeah. I, I think it was fun to put it out there and see how people reacted. But um, in the end, I still had to make the decision. And I, I was yeah. happy with the decision I made. It, it, it's a great LinkedIn engagement strategy. People love voting in a poll, and then that spreads through their networks. I, I didn't really do that this time because my my process on the cover was very um, unique and individualized. Working with an old friend of mine who's yeah. a artist, and we, I mean, I reached out to some people for input, but like we we we're like this, I don't know, it's meaningful to us and I, I'm not going to market test this or like yeah. I, it was different than I had done on other books. No, I liked, I liked what you did. And, and uh, you know, so much so that I might, I might ask to work with your guy next time I write a, <laughs> <laughs> write a yeah. book, which, which I will do again, but I'm in no rush. Um, you know, it was 15 years between my last books. So something like that. <laughs> I'm at a pace of more like every five yeah, well, you yeah, you've written multiple oh, books. Um, I've I've written two, so um, uh, so it, it, big big span in between, and uh, I I think about it for a while. I have ideas for my next one, but I'm I I I'm already collecting 
notes and references, but uh, yeah, I'm a long way from sitting down, uh, especially since I launched the new podcast to worry about. Right. Yeah. Right. So um, before I write something again, maybe I should talk to you about the mind mapping though, because there's always this question of how much upfront thinking into the structure versus having enough structure move forward, be ready to iterate. I, yeah. Maybe that's yep. just individual. It, oh, I think it is, but uh, I'm still happy to share. It works really well for me. And, um, and, and, and like I said, it's my favorite part of the <laughs> favorite part of the writing process. Cause it seems like maybe there's an opportunity there along the lines of go slow to go fast, like go slow with, putting together the structure and then boom, you would write more quickly. Oh, I very much did. I, I'd sit there with a mind map for for quite a while, you know, thinking I'd, I'd stop and research a little, I'd, I'd add some more notes. And then when I'd sit down to write, it would just flow. Cause I'd already, I already had every thought, <laughs> like every thought had already come into my mind. So by the time it was, you know, by the time I took the mind map, and then immediately went into writing. It was it, it 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 flowed pretty pretty well most of the time. Not always, most of the time. Well, great. Well, we right. will hopefully do another episode before before too long. Yep. Figure yeah. out. Well, uh, our our pace topics. is down, and that's okay. I think we're both okay with that. I uh, just thought we re- we release when we want to. <laughs> we do it when we want to. You have a book behind you rather than in front of you, yeah. so that's that's good. So episode forty in the books, um, yeah. not too far away from episode fifty, and hopefully not too far away from our next analog uh, in person lean. Yeah. We're 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 beyond the numbers where like we're not going to go find a forty year whiskey to drink for our, our theme for the fortieth episode. <laughs> I, I, there's there's things that. Uh, there, there's things that I'm okay spending a little extra on, and and that's probably not one of them. Yeah, for sure. But we I hope should have done it for the thirty, uh, even then. Yeah. But or the twenty-five, but we we didn't. Yeah. That's okay. We're, yeah. we're we we have plenty of good, as we've proven, plenty of good whiskeys to choose from. I don't have anything older than a, a twenty-one year. I don't. I don't right now. Um, right. Yeah, I think that's my my oldest um right now so which is plenty old and again only only in this yeah only in the scotch category you know it's right. hard to find a 21 year old bourbon or a rye so but six six was plenty yeah from new riff yep good job new so, riff. yes so i hope people check out uh, people solve problems podcast congratulations on launching that thanks and check out the the mistakes that make us book uh on you know out and on uh you know physical book kindle and and in a couple of months all things willing uh on audiobook as well yeah it's available on amazon for those who don't like amazon and like it's on barnes and noble bn.com that's still that's still there and, uh, <laughs> if people want to order a signed copy they can do so through mistakes book dot com as the website nice not not a feature i've offered but uh nice nice to hear that you are so so to our our collective accomplishments and uh uh, a fun and interesting topic tonight and to 
you know, in-person visits. Yeah. Cheers. Thanks. Cheers. Thank you for listening to Lean Whiskey. To learn more or find more episodes, visit leanwhiskey.com, spelled either K-E-Y or K-Y. You can also visit leanblog.org slash leanwhiskey or jflinch.com slash leanwhiskey. Look for us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and wherever you listen to podcasts. We are very grateful for every rating, review, and follow. Until our next episode, cheers. Cheers.